Testament. We have two scripture readings this evening, first of all taken from the Old Testament, the book of Exodus, and the chapter 30, commencing our reading in the verse 1. The book of Exodus, the 30th chapter, we read from verse 1 through to the verse 16. This is the word of the Lord. Let us hear together God's word. The Lord speak to our souls. May we hear what the Lord says through his word. And thou shalt make an altar to burn incense upon. Of shittim wood shalt thou make it. A cubit shall be the length thereof, and a cubit the breadth thereof. Four square shall it be, and two cubits shall be the height thereof. The horns thereof shall be of the same. And thou shalt overlay it with pure gold, the top thereof, and the sides thereof round about. And the horns thereof thou shalt make unto it a crown of gold round about. Two golden rings shalt thou make to it under the crown of it, by the two corners thereof. Upon the two sides of it shalt thou make it. And they shall be for the places, for the staves, to bear it withal. And thou shalt make the staves of shittim wood, and overlay them with gold. And thou shalt put it before the veil that is by the ark of the testimony, before the mercy seat that is over the testimony, where I will meet with thee. And Aaron shall burn thereon sweet incense every morning, When he dresseth the lamps, he shall burn incense upon it. And when Aaron lighteth the lamps at even, he shall burn incense upon it. And upon it a perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generations. Ye shall offer no strange incense thereon, nor burnt sacrifice, nor meat offering. Neither shall ye pour drink offering thereon. And Aaron shall make an atonement upon the horns of it once in a year with the blood of the sin offering of atonements. Once in the year shall he make atonement upon it throughout your generations. It is most holy unto the Lord. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, When thou takest the son of the children of Israel after the number Then shall they give every man a ransom for his soul unto the Lord. When thou numberest them, that there be no plague among them. When thou numberest them, this they shall give. Every one that passeth among them that are numbered after shekel, after the shekel of the sanctuary. A shekel is twenty giras, and half shekel shall be the offering of the Lord. Every one that passeth among them that are numbered from twenty years old and above shall give an offering unto the Lord. The rich shall not give more, and the poor shall not give less than half a shekel when they give an offering unto the Lord to make an atonement for your souls. And thou shalt take the atonement money of the children of Israel and shall appoint it for service of the tabernacle of the congregation that it may be a memorial unto the children of Israel before the Lord to make an atonement for your souls. Amen. We turn now to the New Testament, to the Gospel of Matthew and the 17th chapter. The Gospel of Matthew and the 17th chapter. And we read verses 1 to the verse 27. Again, this is the word of the Lord. Let us hear together. Matthew 17, verse 1. And after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them. And his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias, talking with him. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, 
Let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elias. While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were sore afraid. And Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, and be not afraid. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus only. And as they came down from the mountain, Jesus charged them, saying, Tell the vision to no man until the Son of Man be risen again from the dead. And his disciples asked him, saying, Why then say the scribes and Elias must first come? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Elias truly shall first come and restore all things. But I say unto you that Elias is come already, and they knew him not, but have done unto him whatsoever they listed. Likewise shall also the Son of Man suffer of them. Then the disciples understood that he spake unto them of John the Baptist. And when they were come to the multitude, they were, came to him, a certain man kneeling down to him, saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic, and sore vexed, and for often, oft times he falleth into the fire, and oft into the water. And I brought him to thy disciples, and they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. And Jesus rebuked the devil, and he departed out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, Why could not we cast him out? Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief. For verily I say unto you, If ye have faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Howbeit this kind goeth not out by prayer and fasting, but by prayer and fasting. And while they abode in Galilee, Jesus said unto them, The Son of Man shall be betrayed into the hands of men, and they shall kill him. And the third day he shall be raised again. And they were exceeding sorry. And when they were come to Capernaum, they received tribute money. They that received tribute money came to Peter and said, Doth not your master pay tribute? He saith, Yes. And when he was come into the house, Jesus prevented him, saying, What thinkest thou, Simon, of whom do the kings of the earth take custom tribute of their own children, custom or tribute of their own children, or of strangers? Peter saith unto him, Of strangers. Jesus saith unto him, Then are the children free. Notwithstanding, lest we should offend them, go thou to the sea, and cast an hook, and take up the fish that first cometh up. When thou hast opened his mouth, thou shalt find a piece of money. Take that take, and give unto him for me, unto them for me, and thee. Amen. May the Lord bless that public reading of his word, and all for the glory of his name. Let us pray, let us draw near. Well, dear friends, I'll ask you to please turn your prayerful attention to those words that I read to you there in the Gospel of Matthew in the 17th chapter. And it's been a few years now since we have looked at this scene where we see Peter uh, being told by the Lord Jesus Christ to go into down to the seashore, and the first fish that he catches 
uh, to look in its mouth and to find there the tribute money for the temple. And I want to think about that here this evening. Some people think that this miracle of the coin found in the fish's mouth is simply to show that the Lord Jesus Christ has power over creation. Of course, it does show us that, but it shows us something far, far, far more profound than the Lord Jesus Christ having power over creation. And I want us to, with the chapter that we read there in the book of Exodus in the 30th chapter, draw from it the lessons that we are told about the tribute money, about the temple money, and what that means, that tribute money was also called atonement money for the soul, the souls of men. And each man had to give a half shekel. You notice here, as we look at Matthew chapter 17, may the Lord be pleased to enable me to minister his word this evening, looking firstly at verse 24 there and verse 25. I want you to notice how the Lord Jesus Christ, he speaks to Peter, and as the temple officials come to Peter, and they ask him about the tribute money. Verse 24, And when they were come to Capernaum, they that received tribute money came to Peter and said, Doth not your master pay tribute? And there they were obviously speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ, who is his master. And you notice what Peter says in the verse 25. He saith, Yes. And when he was come into the house, Jesus prevented him, saying, What thinkest thou, Simon, of whom do the kings of the earth take custom or tribute, of their own children or of strangers? So a question is posed to Peter. And Peter saith unto him, Of strangers. Jesus saith unto him, Then are the children free, notwithstanding, lest we should offend them, go thou to the sea, and cast an hook, and take up the fish that first cometh up. When thou hast opened his mouth, thou shalt find a piece of money. That take, and give unto them, for me and thee. We're told here Peter is to cast an hook, not even to put bait on the hook. It's quite remarkable. But the Lord would see to it that not only there was a fish on the hook, but in the very mouth of that fish was the tribute money to be paid. Now I want you just to turn there to Exodus chapter 30. And uh, the whole context there is, as you may well know, is that Moses is being given divine instruction by Almighty God as to the construction of the Ark of the Covenant, how it was to be made of shittim wood and how it was to be overladen with gold, and even the staves were to be overladen with gold. The Ark of the Covenant, as we know, represented the very presence of God. And there between the cherubims overlooking the mercy seat, God said that he would meet with sinners as that Seat was sprinkled with the blood of the Lamb, as we read, once a year. God would meet with his people. And I must remind you that as the Apostle Paul says in Hebrews, the things concerning the tabernacle, these were pictures of the true. And he says, shadows of good things to come. All of these things speak of Jesus Christ. And we know from the scriptures that he came into the world to make atonement for his people. And we've noticed in this chapter, in Exodus chapter 30, verse 12, there's further instruction, when thou takest the sum of the children of Israel after their number, children of Israel were to be numbered, and they shall give every man a ransom for his soul unto the Lord, 
when thou numberest them, there shall be no, that there be no plague among them, when thou numberest them. There was not only to be the atonement by the Lamb, but there was to be money collected. Every person will give, verse 13, everyone that passeth among them that are numbered half a shekel after the shekel of the sanctuary. It's called several things, the atonement money, the shekel of the sanctuary, a half shekel. And we're told here, everyone over 20 years old, verse 14 and above, shall give an offering to the Lord. What for? It is for an offering for the soul. We're told there, the rich shall give no more, verse 15, the poor shall give no less than half a shekel when they shall give an offering unto the Lord to make an atonement for your souls. Now this is interesting. Of course this money in itself could not atone for sins, but it was there lest any plague should come upon the people. So when they were numbered, there were many times when they were numbered and once a year, this was to be a statute to all generations. Every year, this tribute money had to be paid. Whether you were poor, whether you were rich, half a shekel, and we are told an atonement for the soul. This is what we call the temple tax. The law demanded this levy, this tax. It's called here an atonement, an offering, notice there, for the soul from every Israelite. And it was reminding sinners that they are by nature defiled. It speaks here about defilement. Sin has defiled us, hasn't it? We're all defiled by sin. Isaiah says, our iniquities have carried us away. It is because of our sins that God will not hear us if we're unsaved and we have no atonement for our sins. This is what this temple money is instructing us in, that atonement is personal. You notice a man couldn't pay for another man. Atonement is individual. Now, we come to our chapter, having given you some background there. You notice the words you come here to, Matthew 17, the men of the temple who looked after the temple came to Peter and said, Doth, verse 24, not your master pay tribute? Well, he's an Israelite. Does he not pay tribute? Does he not pay this half shekel for the atonement? But of course, the Lord Jesus Christ never ever needed to atone for his own sins, did he? But he came to fulfill all righteousness, did he not? And here he addresses Peter. They come back to the house, it seems, if you you look at the text there, he prevents Peter. It says there, Peter answers to this official, he saith yes. And then later on, the Lord Jesus Christ, by the way, is not... In this conversation, if you notice there, with Peter and these temple officials. But of course, the Lord Jesus Christ knows all things. The Lord Jesus, it seems, is at a distance from Peter. But he knows the thoughts and the conversations of all men. And as they walked down the street, going to the place that they were staying, and when he was come into the house, verse 25... Jesus prevented him. Now, perhaps Peter is going to get the money. That's what most suggest. Peter's going to get the money. They are asking for the temple tax. Peter's about to get it. Of course, he's going to pay something. And of course, now the Lord Jesus Christ is going to to make that provision for Peter. He stops Peter from paying this temple official out of his own pocket, as it were. And for the Lord Jesus, of course, we know from the earlier part of this chapter and previous chapters that Judas always had his money, his hand in the money back because he was a thief and a robber and a liar. 
He was cheating from the beginning. Now, it says Jesus prevented him, saying, and he poses to him a question, What thinkest thou, Simon? Of course, his name's Simon Peter. Simon Bar-Jonah. Simon, son of Jonah. He takes Peter back to his original name, doesn't he? Reminds him exactly of who he is. He is originally Simon, son of Jonas. And uh, it's quite important that we, we see what the Lord is doing. He's reminding Peter of really who he is by nature. But remember, he called him Peter, Petros. On this rock, remember what he said, Simon Peter, who sayest that I am? You notice earlier on in this chapter, thou art the Christ. If you just look back at chapter 16 and the verse 21, from that time forth began Jesus to show his disciples how he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and the priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised on the third day. Then Peter took him again and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get behind me, Satan, thou art an offense to me, for thou savorest not the things of God, but those things that be of men. Now Peter has earlier said that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then Peter said, forbid that you should ever go to the cross. Forbid that you should suffer, die, and be raised on the third day. Forbid. The Lord had to rebuke him. But now the question is asked. Peter very quickly says to these temple officials, yes, of course, My master pays the temple tax. Yes, of course he does. However, we have to ask, is Peter telling the truth? Of course he's telling the truth. It's the first question we ask. The Lord Jesus, we're told, fulfilled the law of God. In every aspect, he was a Jew, he wouldn't have abrogated the law. But remember, as we said, Peter's been told that he would be put to death. And now maybe Peter is wondering and he's fearing, I better pay this temple tax. We'll be in trouble. But the Lord Jesus prevents him, says, hold on a minute, Peter. I want to ask you some questions. Do the children pay? We have kings, he says. Notice what he says. Notice. Thinkest, what thinkest thou, the kings of the earth, do they take custom or tribute of their own children or of strangers? You think of a king, does he, does he take tribute? Those who were kings, they normally took protection money from those who were foreign. And Israel knew all about this. Do you remember, we thought recently in our studies, how Hezekiah refused to pay tribute to the Assyrian king. But he says, do the kings of the earth take custom or tribute of their own children or strangers? And Peter says, of strangers. Now, on the back foot of that, notice what the Lord says. Peter said unto him, strangers, Jesus saith unto him, then are the children free. He says, Peter, In effect, you are a child of God. You're a child of God. Now, here's the point. In salvation, God's children never pay for the atonement of their sin. Remember that this is what we call atonement money. It says that in Exodus 30, this is the atonement money. And it is free for God's children. Now, how is the, where's the proof of this? It is going to be seen in the miracle that the Lord Jesus Christ does for Peter. And I want you to see that. Notwithstanding, 
lest we should offend them. That's those who are truly just people of the temple who take this tribute money or atonement money unless we break, could we even say, the ceremonial law. This is all part of the ceremonial law. Peter truly is a child of the living God. And the proof is he goes down to the sea. He doesn't laugh at the Lord Jesus and say, come on, you're joking. No bait on the hook and money in the fish's mouth. This is not essentially a miracle to show you that the Lord Jesus Christ, my friends, has power over fish. But he has power in our salvation because he pays the tribute of all who truly believe in him. You see, Peter wasn't saying, you're having a laugh. You're wasting my time. Peter went down in faith, didn't he? Remember, we read of the earlier miracle. How when they came down, they couldn't cast out demons out of that young person. But he that has faith as small as a sycamine tree You see, faith is this. It's not a faith in faith. You've heard of this silly faith in faith movement. Just believe it, name it, claim it, and frame it. No, it's not that. It's faith in what God has said. You see, all who are truly saved believe in the promise of God that he would send his son into the world to make an atonement for their sin. This is a marvelous miracle, really. Peter's tribute, or Peter's atonement money, is going to be paid for here. And of course, the Lord Jesus Christ will pay. Well, there is a coin there, but it will cover both for Peter and for the Lord Jesus. But of course, he needs no atonement for his own sin, but all righteousness as far as the law is concerned, must be fulfilled. And here's where the rubber hits the road. All of God's children, like Peter, will believe the promises of God. You see, here's the thing. A lot of those who paid their own tribute money took pride in saying, I paid my due. Maybe you've been a member of some club, I don't know, before you were a Christian, and you paid your dues. Maybe it was the golf club, or maybe it was this club or that club. And you paid your dues, and you say, right, I'm all paid up, and I'm good to go. But friends, to belong to the kingdom of heaven is entirely the free gift of God in Jesus Christ. You see, natural man is offended at this, that God the Son should pay the debt of sinners. But he does. They are free. But you see, atonement has to be made. It was the law. It was the law in Israel. And all that law is pointing to him who is the end of the law for righteousness. Jesus Christ. He says the children are free. Peter, you are free. You're a child of God. This is what he's saying. Do the kings of the earth take custom or tribute of their own children or of strangers? Of strangers. Let me put it to you this way, if you're unsaved, and if you ever imagine that you will get into God's kingdom, into God's heaven, by paying your way, 
you'll never do it. Because it would take a sinless, spotless, obedient life only like that of the Lord Jesus Christ. There was only one that was ever good enough to pay for sin. The one who left heaven and came down to give his life, the Bible says, as a ransom for many. We're told also in Exodus 38, it's called ransom money. And we're told by the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of Man came not to serve, to be served, but to give his life a ransom for many. That's wonderful, isn't it? The children go free. Natural man wants to pay. He's got the audacity to think that he can pay God. Somehow all of his good deeds outweighing his bad deeds can never be. Can it? Look at the Israelites that had to pay year after year after year. Year after year. It was an annual thing. The priest, just as the high priest, we're told in Hebrews, had to go in year after year, but could not make satisfaction for sin. But we're told by Paul in Hebrews that Christ offered himself up once, and he made satisfaction for his people. And it was personal. It was for all who believe. And you see, Peter goes down, doesn't he? Peter, don't go in the house in a sense. Don't pay this. The children go free. Now, who provided this? Who provided this atonement? God did. Where did it come from? It seems out of nowhere. How did it get in the fish's mouth? A miracle. And it's the same with salvation, isn't it? It is a miracle, my friends, that God should come into this world. Isn't it? But it's true. They say, you know, people say sometimes it it's, seems too good to be true. But it is true. It is wonderful. Too wonderful. Who would ever imagine that God the Son would come into this world? Just like we could say, who could ever imagine you'd find money in the mouth of the fish? Fish are after worms. Fish are after different things. And even that fish was hooked without, well, just a, a hook. No bait. And in the sense, let me say it this way. What was it that drew the Lord Jesus Christ into this world? It was his love that drew him. There was no bait, as it were, that attracted him to come into this world. There's nothing in his people that he would ever find attractive. But he did it. He came. I want to take you just very briefly to Galatians chapter 3. Here Paul is dealing with early Christians, and many of them are being persuaded by the Jews to go back to religious ceremony and circumcision and going back to the law. But he says this, I want you to notice Galatians 4, verse 1. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth from a servant. An heir is a child, and that's what we're dealing with here in Matthew 17, aren't we? Though he be Lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the Father, even so we... Paul says, as believers, when we were children, we're in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law. That is, he came under the law of God. Why? 
to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons of sons. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth his Spirit, the Spirit of his Son, into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. How be it then, when ye knew not God, ye did service unto them which by nature are no gods. But now, after ye have known God, or rather are known by God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements? They're going back to the law, whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage. Ye observe days and months and times and years, and I'm afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. Brethren, I beseech you, be as I am, for I am sure as you, I am as ye are. Ye have not injured me at all. You know how through infirmity of the flesh I preached the gospel unto you at first. And my temptation, which was in my flesh, ye despised not, nor rejected, but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. Where then is the blessedness ye spake of? For I hear, I bear record, that if it had been possible, ye would have plucked out your own eyes and had given them to me. I am therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth. They zealously affect you, but not well. Yea, they would exclude you that ye might affect them. But it is good to be zealously affected always in a good thing. And not only when I am present with you, my little children, of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. I desire to be present with you now and to change my voice. For I stand in doubt of you. Now notice, tell me, ye that desire to be under the law, do ye not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid, the other by a free woman. First of all, Sarah and Hagar. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh. That's Hagar. But of the free woman was by promise. Remember, God promised Abraham a son. And he came. They were very old. But remember, Abraham tried to do things the shortcut way. And it was a disaster. And we notice which things are an allegory. You know what an allegory is. For these are the two covenants. The one from the Mount Sinai, that's the law, which gendereth to bondage, which is Agar. And here it is. People in this world, they think if they're good, they will be right with God. They're under the law. Everybody that comes into this world is under the law of God. And we've all come short of God's law, short of his standards. Now notice, for this Agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and answereth to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in bondage with her children. But Jerusalem, which is above, is free. You see, he's speaking about those who are free. Who are those who are free? Those who are in heaven. Now notice, which is the mother, that's Jerusalem, of us all. For it is written, Rejoice, thou barren, that bearest not, break forth and cry, Thou that travailest not, for the desolate hath many more children than she that hath an husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. But as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him, remember that was Ishmael, that was born after the Spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what is that scripture? Saith the scripture, cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be an heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. And then he goes on in Galatians 3 to tell us, if we are in Christ, we are free. And what does Christ do? He sets his people free. He pays the atonement of all of his people. These 
Paul tells us the children of the promise. God has promised to save a people out of this world, sinful people like Peter, James, John, you and I, if we are believers, and we believe on the promise that God would make an atonement for sin through his dear son, the Lord Jesus. Peter believed the Lord Jesus when he said, there's money in that fish's mouth. And he went down to the water. And he took the money out of the fish. And the atonement money was paid. Peter, do the children go free? Or the servants? He who sins is a slave to sin. But he whom the Son sets free is not only free from their sin, but Christ from the power of sin, but Christ has set him free from all the legal requirements that God's justice requires against him. Isn't that amazing? It is paid. The debt, and let me say this, God's children, all of them, will believe upon Jesus Christ. The Jew liked to pay his own tribute money. I've paid it. I'm right with God. My dear friends, we have sinned against an infinitely holy God. And we could never, ever, ever pay for our sins. We know this as believers, do we not? But whom the Son sets free is free indeed. This memorial or this tribute money was to be taken up every year by the temple officials and the children of Israel were reminded that God requires an atonement for your soul. But you know what? The unbeliever will say, I can pay it. I can pay it. But every year he'd have to pay. But it was only so that a plague could not come. You study Exodus 30. It was only so that a plague could not come upon that person. But friends, let me put it this way. There is the plague of sin. That nothing could wash away sin but the blood of Jesus Christ. The scriptures say the blood of Jesus Christ cleanseth us from all sin. And that's a wonderful thing, isn't it? To know that the unbeliever, he's too proud. He thinks that somehow God will outweigh all of his bad deeds with his good deeds. But my dear friends, there is no payment, other payment that will do. Peter says of the Lord Jesus, it's interesting, you read First Peter that God's people were not purchased with silver or gold. Doesn't he say that? But with the precious blood of the Lamb, without spot, without blemish, who was foreordained before the foundation of the world. And they know God loves them. It's like we read, remember what the Lord Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like this, it's like a merchantman. He finds in a field a pearl of greatest price. And he sells all to have that pearl. He believes the love of God toward him or her. And there's nothing more precious to him or her than the love of God in Jesus Christ. Peter was later meant to reflect upon this. Isn't the Lord Jesus precious? As he came into this world, how would he come? He would come through Abraham. And the children of the promise, God chose Jacob over Esau. 
before one ever did good or the other one evil. And Jacob believed the promises of God. Were the promises of God made to a good man? No. Jacob, the supplanter. Jacob, the deceiver. But you see, why? When you read the Bible, in Romans chapter 9, God says, it's my choice. I will have mercy upon whom I will have mercy. Peter, you're a child of God. Peter, blessed are your eyes, for they see, your ears, for they hear. Flesh and blood, Peter, has not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. And my friends, salvation is not about somehow you paying your way to heaven. You could never do it. It is the free gift of God to all who believe gladly upon the Lord Jesus Christ. As Peter put that coin into those men's hands, it was only the Lord who could really pay that debt, wasn't it? Let me put it to you this way. The very one who owns the temple is God. We have sinned, have we not, against him? The Lord paid for Peter's sins, and he paid for the sins of all of his people. First Peter 2, 2, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself that judgeth righteously, who in his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree. What a debt he paid the atonement of our Lord Jesus Christ. What a wonderful picture of Calvary do we have, the Lord paying for the debt of his people, the atonement money. It's a miracle, isn't it? What a miracle this was. It was only the eyes of Peter that saw this. It was not a public miracle. You think about that. It was one for Peter. And it is, let me say this way, for every one of the Lord's children, he reveals what he has done in Jesus Christ for them. And they know and they experience the love of God in Jesus Christ. It was not a public miracle, but it was one that Peter would continue to reflect upon. That payment, what an extraordinary way it was paid for. But what an extraordinary way for us. The Lord paid for the sins of his people. Who could imagine? But friends, there was no other way, was there? But Jesus Christ had to come into the world. He had to come and he had to, as the scriptures say, give his life as a ransom for many. And he restores them. Well, this is no strange thing. It might seem a strange thing. Money in a fish's mouth. But it all points to that extraordinary work at Calvary, doesn't it? Of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. My friend, let me close with this. What do you think of Christ? What do you think of the cross? Paul says... The cross is foolishness to them that perish. But Paul says it is the power and the wisdom of God to them that are being saved. Many would have probably scoffed at our Lord's words. Go into the, by the sea. Just throw a hook into the sea. But my friend, let me say this. He puts the fish on that hook. 
Peter knew so much about fishing. Remember the time when the Lord Jesus meets with him there on the Sea of Galilee. And he says, Peter, come on, let's go out fishing. Lord, we've been out all night. He said, cast out the nets. Peter said, okay, Lord, I'll cast the net, singular. Disobeys the Lord, but the Lord mercifully deals with him. And what does the Lord do? He sends all of those fishes. He who controls the ocean, the fish, and everything that is in the world, and puts them in the net. So that Peter begins to feel the tug. And as he does, he is straining at the nets. And they begin to fill the boat with all these fish. Till the boat starts to sink. And Peter falls down, we read in the boat. Just overwhelmed. And it dawns upon him who he's dealing with. God. And he says, Lord, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. But the Lord never departed from him. And let me say this, the Lord will never depart from his children, from his people. Though though sinful we are, and wayward we can be, he will never forsake those whom he has atoned for. Again, after Peter denied him, remember he said, Lord, I I will never deny thee. All men may forsake, but not me, Lord. And there is Peter fishing, naked, gone back to fishing. We're told he jumps in the water for he was naked, probably quite ashamed at his rough behavior. And he recognizes As he comes along the seashore, there is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's cooking the fish that day. And he restores Peter back to himself. Why? Because the Lord laid down his life, my friends, for his sheep. And he restores the wandering sheep to himself. Why? Because he atoned for them. And he will never, ever forsake them. It's a wonderful thing that God the Son should come into this world and live for sinners, isn't it? And then die for them and give his life as a ransom for many. Too good to be true? No. It's wonderful. And all of God's children Gladly receive him. And they say, he paid my debt. He paid for all of my sins. And I will gladly serve him. All the days of my life. Amen.